Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The word of the Lord. All right, good morning, guys. My name is Steve. I am the lead pastor here. And uh, if you're joining us this morning um, for the first time, welcome. Um, We are actually in the third part of a three-message series going through our mission statement. Uh, which very simply is that we are walking in Christ as a community on mission. And in order to dig into this, we have been looking in this passage of of Matthew 22, which is um, an incredibly important passage. I mean, Jesus has asked a question that is meant to simply be to trick him. Um, And and, uh, it was was an intellectual query that was meant to ultimately, um, I don't know, be a trick question that allowed them to divide his following. And, And Jesus used it as an opportunity to give a profound insight into the purpose of life into why we exist. Um, he, he said, at the heart of everything, at the heart of everything is love. The greatest commandment, in other words, the most important thing, the foundation of everything else, the place to begin if you're going to discover how to relate with God and with yourself is that you are to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. A command that is um, profoundly insightful. Uh, it tells us, first of all, that, that God is, is cluing us in, in a sense, that we were created to do that. He doesn't command it as simply an obligation. He commands it because we were actually created to do it. What he's saying is, find your total delight in me because I am totally delightful. I, you were created to revolve around me. Everything you seek is ultimately found in me, joy, love, purpose, um, accomplishment, all the things that you look to in your life, I created those things. Relationships, productivity, um, creativity, um, power, influence, all of those things, they were created by God because they're reflective of the character of God. And all of those things, when they're used rightly, are in fact gifts from God. The problem is we look to the gifts instead of the giver of the gifts to ultimately fulfill us, and they never can. They become what we call idols in our lives, and they leave us desperately disappointed and empty. And what he's saying is, look, don't stop at the gift, pass through the gift to the giver of the gift. Love me, not your job. Love me, not your reputation. Love me, not the affection you get from other people. Love me. And in so doing, you will be freed up to enjoy the gifts that I give you in a profound way that you could never be freed otherwise. Love me with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. That is a command that is absolute and it is universal. What it tells us is that at the heart of the universe is a God that wants to have a relationship with us. At the heart of the universe is not some moral code by which we will be measured. At the heart of the universe is not this balanced scale where where we will either be found uh, wanting or, or in excess. At the heart of the universe is a relational God who created us for relationship. And everything else flows from that. If we don't begin here, we haven't begun. Love God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind. The challenge is, of course, it's an impossible command. We can't make our hearts love God. Our hearts have been bent by sin. We are born hopelessly self-centered. And we go through our lives hopelessly self-centered. We're focused on our achievement, our happiness, our well-being, our advancement, right? And, and, and honestly, that is, is probably one of the most powerful forces we have to combat our entire lives, right? Any, any parent of a toddler can tell you that one of the key battles of growth and maturity is teaching that child that they are not the center of the universe, right? Every child comes out basically assuming their needs, their wants, their desires are the center of the universe. What we call growing up is learning to delay gratification, to delay. And honestly, what we're doing is not necessarily recentering our hearts during that process, but delaying the fulfillment of our hearts. We are just as self-centered as we were when we were two years old. And here's the challenge, man. You know where that path leads. The people that are, that are most concerned with their own happiness, the people that are most filled with self-promotion, self-fulfillment, self-pity, are the most miserable people on the face of the earth. 
they become black holes of need. There's a gravitational pull in their heart that ultimately will pull in all of life, all of light, all of joy, and it will crush it under its weight. They will crush anyone who is around them. Maybe you've been in that spot before. Maybe you know someone who's been in that spot. See, when God commands us to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind, this is not a narcissistic God simply saying, hey, do this thing and then I'll approve of you. What He's saying is, you need to do this thing to be freed. You need to love me because I will reverse the gravitational pull of your heart. So how do we come to love God? The same way we come to love anything. It has to be a response. We can't choose what we will love. Our love is a response. Now, we can choose to act like we loved it. We can choose to tolerate it. We can choose to try and like it. We can choose to act like we love it. But to truly love it, that's a response, not an action we can perform. God's commanding us to do something that's impossible for us to do, but then He gave us the ability to do it by actually loving us in advance. When He sent Christ to die for us, it was the anti-gravitational thing we needed to reverse the flow of our hearts. When we focus on what God has done to love us, it frees us in response to His love. As you simply look at the fact that a holy God did not alien Himself, pull Himself away from us in our sin, but instead identified with us. God became flesh. He became one of us. And even though He never sinned, He so fully identified with us that He took our sin and died in our place. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This is the most profound demonstration of love the universe has ever known a creator God becoming one of His creations so that He might die His creation's death in their place as their substitute, fully satisfying Himself in regard to the universe's need for righteous judgment, for what we would simply call justice, so that He can forgive without also being unrighteous. He righteously judges sins so that He can extend the benefit of forgiveness to those who don't deserve it. When Jesus rose again to new life, He didn't just rise for Himself, He rose for us. He became our substitute in death so that we, be, we could become His brothers and His sisters in new life. That is the most radical, most profound, most life-changing message of love the universe has ever known. There is no greater love that a man could demonstrate than to lay down his life for his friend. And yet Christ did it for us while we were still His enemy. That message of love has the power to awaken our hearts to love Him in response. As we simply sit in the gospel and allow it to melt us, what will happen is it will reverse the gravitational pull of our heart. We will no longer be centered on self-glory, and we will become centered instead on God's glory. Why? Because we will see Him as glorious. His glory will no longer be a threat to our glory. His kingdom will no longer be a threat to our kingdom. We will see that He is ultimately, infinitely lovable. And we will gladly reorient our lives around His glory instead of our own, and thereby releasing our hearts from that gravitational, selfish pull and pushing us out instead in love for others. We have to love God first. We have to enter into a loving relationship with God first, being engaged by the gospel first before we even know what it means to love others. Otherwise, all we're doing is using others for the purpose of making ourselves feel good about ourselves. To truly be free to love others, we have to be freed from centering on ourselves to instead being centered on God. See, God doesn't push us out to love others. He releases us, and it moves us in love toward others in what we call community and mission. So when we talk about walking in Christ, it's that whole idea of of discovering to a greater and greater degree the beauty of God, the love of God, the joy of God, being freed into essentially living the lives God has freed us to live, the joy that He has freed us to have. Walking in Christ is a progressive process of being freed by the gospel, all right? And it frees us to love community and love mission. Community, of course, we mean by that, are our fellow Christ followers. When you become a believer in Christ, you are not saved as an individual. You are saved into a people. 
Right? You don't go find a church to join. You are the church. Church simply means the called out people of God. We are a community. We are the church. As followers of Christ, he has placed us into his body. And so we learn to love others because in loving others, we actually learn to discover more of the love of God. And here's the thing. There's really no difference between community and mission. One is focused on Christ followers. One is focused on those who are not followers of Christ. But at the heart of both, very simply, is the propelling force of the love of God. The reason we go to community is because God's love compels us. The reason we go out and share our faith with people that don't believe the same way we do is the love of God. God propels us out in love for others because that is His very nature. In fact, that's the pattern we see. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. See, true love engages others. True love sacrifices for others. True love is propelled in good for others. And as our heart is engaged by the gospel, it's going to move us out in love for others, for those in community and and those that are not part of our community. All right, now to dig into this this morning, um, this morning's sermon is a little bit different. (laughs) We're going to be looking at a single verse and, and really looking at how Trailhead as a church is engaging this idea of loving um, on mission, sharing the gospel with people that don't necessarily believe the gospel, but we're compelled to share the gospel with. And what I want to do is I want to focus on a single verse. It's Acts 1.8. Um, to give you the context of this verse, well, let me read it first and I'll give you the context. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. All right, Jesus has just risen from the dead. He died, he was buried, he rose again. Um, his disciples are, are still profoundly confused about what's going on. They totally didn't expect him to go to the cross. They expected him to ride into Jerusalem and gather a bunch of followers and lead a political coup and establish the kingdom on earth. And that didn't happen. He rode into Jerusalem and everything went bad. And he ended up hanging on a cross, the most humiliating public display uh, ever created. And then he died. And, and they were left with a profound sadness and confusion. Three days later, when Jesus rose from the dead and started appearing to his disciples, it created a tremendous amount of excitement and a tremendous amount of buzz and a tremendous amount of confusion. They still had no idea what he was doing. And so Jesus at this point is giving them the marching orders. This is right before he, he ascends into heaven. This is right before Jesus basically says, look, uh, I'm leaving now, um, and here are your marching orders, okay? So let's unpack these marching orders and, and, and see where it leads us on this idea of mission. A few key points. First of all, he says, when I leave, you will receive power you will receive power. Let's, let's explain that a little bit. You, you guys green thumbs? Anybody plant things? I am not a green thumb. I kill things, right? There are a few things that I've planted that actually grew. I was really proud of myself, right? Here's the deal. Those of you who are green thumbs, how much power do you have over a seed to make it grow? Like zero, right? What is a seed? The seed has everything it needs in it to grow. What does it need you to do? Plant it. A seed merely needs to be planted because it carries with it all the power it needs to grow. Now, you can plant a seed, you can tend a seed, you can make sure it's watered, and you can make sure that it's not planted in, in you know, nasty, contaminated soil. You, you, can, you can do your best to plant the seed well. But if the seed is going to grow, there's this great mystery that has to happen at the heart of the seed over which you have no power. You guys, that's the gospel. The gospel carries its own power. The gospel is not advice on how to live. The gospel is not God's 10 easy steps to right relationship. The gospel is a message of what God has done, not of what we're supposed to do. The word gospel itself means good news. And that good news, as it is simply shared, carries its own power. But beyond the gospel having power, we as followers of Christ are also empowered. The message itself carries power. It will do its own work. 
but the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and enables us. That's the next part. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and I know this gets into really complex theology, and I'm not going to try to unpack it because no matter how hard I try it, I would only confuse you more. This idea of the Trinity is, is mind-blowing, right? This idea that there are three who's but one what, right? Three distinct individuals, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, unique in identity, unique in glory, equal in Godhood, and yet there being a single God, one God. I don't know how to explain it. All I can tell you is that it's been revealed to us. What it does tell us is that at the heart of God is the dance of community, and that community is on mission. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit eternally rejoicing, celebrating relationship with one another, knowing and being known, loving and being loved at the heart of God is community, which by the way is why we need community to experience the fullness of God because we were never created to experience God fully on our own. It's much more complex than that. But that community is on mission. And the Holy Spirit's job is to come alongside us as we carry the message of the gospel and empower us to carry that message successfully forward. Third thing I want to focus on. You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Essentially, you guys, being on mission with God means being a witness of who God is and what He's done. A witness is a messenger. That's what a witness is. A messenger who brings a message, a good news of who God is and what He's done. So let me unpack this a little bit. What we have here is really the the heart of what it means to follow God on mission. We are to take the gospel, which has its own power. We are to trust the Holy Spirit who is walking alongside of us and in us. And we are to be a witness or a messenger of who God is and what He's done. You guys, doesn't this make sense? If, if, if you were one of the first century witnesses of the resurrected Christ, like Thomas, you were able to touch him and stick your hand in his wound have a meal with him. Like the disciples on the, on the road to Emmaus, you walked with him, he spoke with you, shared a meal with you, broke bread with you. What would you do with that information? Would you say, oh, this is fascinating information that I will keep completely and totally to myself? Is that what you would do? This is wonderful for my private religious life. Is that what you would do? This is so enriching for me as I am in isolation and solitude from others. I don't think so. You would do what you already do. You guys publish 90% of your lives on Facebook. You're constantly, like when there's something that's mildly exciting, you know, like, I only had a little bit of homework today. It's on Facebook. You know, it's like any good news, you're out there proclaiming it. You are an evangelist of whatever you consider good news. And this is true even if you're not a follower of Christ. You are always an evangelist of what you consider good news. You are always carrying it out to others. Why? Because you're filled with joy and you want to share that joy with others. And it makes you happy when you see them light up at your good news. Now, a lot of times that's very (laughs) self-centered. Our good news is really just about me. What we have here is the most incredible message of good news the universe has ever heard, that there is a God who created us. And even though He's alienated from us by our sin, has bridged that gap by identifying with us, dying for us, and rising again for us so that we can be forgiven and given new life in Him. This is the most powerful, most radical message ever entrusted to man. And all He asks us to do is share it. It carries its own power. He opens the door. He leads you to the right soil. But He has entrusted the act of planting the seed to us. You know why? Because in giving grace away, we come to experience grace more deeply. Part of God's plan to free us from our self-centered, self-focused black holes of life is to move us out in love and mission for others. He entrusted us the message of the gospel, not because He's dependent on us to get it out, but because by getting it out, we are in fact engaging the very redemptive process He has begun in our own hearts. 
we are blessed as we share grace. We were never meant to become receptacles of grace. We were always meant to be channels of grace. Grace was never given to us that we might hoard it and hold it and say, look how wonderful this treasure is for me. Grace was always meant to be handed off to others. Its power comes in movement, not in holding. We are to share grace with others. That's what it means to love them. So this is the mode of of what God has asked us to do. He's empowered us with a powerful message. He has empowered us with the helper, the Holy Spirit who comes alongside us as believers and, and, and leads us. And then he simply asks us to tell others. You guys, this is the heart of genuine mission. When I sit down across from somebody um, and I'm sharing a cup of coffee with them and I'm sharing my faith with them, I am opening up to them my ideas of who Jesus is and what God has done and why this is so revolutionary. You know why I do that? It's because I love them. It's because I love the God who set me free. And what he's done for me has so changed my life, so revolutionized my understanding of what it means to be human, to be a man, to be a husband, to be a leader, to be myself, that I can't help but share it. I'm a beggar who's found bread, and it's more bread than I can possibly consume on my own. Why would I not share it? Now, some people get really excited about that, and some people embrace it, and they're like, man, that's awesome. Some people are like, dude, you're weird. That stuff you believe is crazy. I'm okay with that, too. See, it's not, I'm not called to make converts. I'm not called to take responsibility for the outcome of, of the gospel. I'm called simply to be a messenger. And in being a messenger, I am unleashing the very power of God through the message of God. My job is to be clear, accurate, creative, and persuasive. My, my, heart is to open, my job is to open up my heart to others and let them see my love for God, how God's love has gripped and changed me, and invite them into that redemptive work. I believe in doing that, I am honoring and respecting the people I am sharing it with, even if they disagree with me. Because I can do that in a way that is non-judgmental. I can do that in a way that is non-alienating. I can do that in a way... Now, not everyone's going to receive it warmly. But they're not targets, you guys. People are not projects. People were created in the image of God to be loved And I believe the most powerful way we can love them is simply to move toward them in the love of Christ, meeting their needs, sharing the truth, and inviting them into relationship. Now, that's the mode. That's what we're supposed to do. Where are we supposed to do it? Well, that's kind of the next part is is the marching orders now. Give them very specific um, places in which they are supposed to exercise this activity. First of all, they are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Um, the early church started in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, is where Jesus preached. Jesus, is, Jesus spent a good portion of his time there. That was the heart of the, the Jewish faith. He, rose, uh, he was crucified just outside of the city. He rose again just outside of the city. The eyewitnesses were in that city. Christianity didn't start 500 miles away 500 years later. Right? It started at that moment in that place because that's where the eyewitnesses were and they were the ones overflowing with the good news. They were the ones overflowing with the excitement. And he said, start where you are. Scripture tells us that we are to love our neighbors, we love ourselves. The word neighbor literally means near ones. Mission always begins next door. When God calls us to be witnesses, He calls us to be faithful where He's put us. God's the one that put you where you are. Yeah, I know you made decisions, you made choices, you, but God is over all of that stuff. And He has you there for a purpose. And there are relationships around you. There are people around you that, that honestly, they desperately need to hear about the love of Christ. Um. As a church, 
we are seeking to mobilize this love of our neighbor. We are trying to organize it and mobilize it and, and, and keep it um, forefront um, because there is this thing that happens in church. Church plants become churches, and that's almost the worst thing that can happen um, because when you become a church, a lot of times you become very self-centered. And you notice this. I mean, some of you have already started like, you know, you come into to Sunday worship, and if somebody's sitting in your seat, you have that thought. <laughs> somebody's in my seat, right? As soon as you start claiming your seat, you know that you're, you're moving into out of mission mode and into um, consumer mode, right? Oh, they changed up the worship. They changed up the order of service. How could they do that, right? That's not the trailhead way. Don't ever say that, right? As soon as you start talking about the trailhead way, what you're really talking about is the way you like it. What you're saying is they're changing things, and I don't like it. It doesn't meet my preferences. What ends up happening is there is an inexorable pull toward the center. And even as followers of Christ, when we come together in a community, a lot of times community becomes the center. We become the focus of, of man, we just want to do life together. We just want to enjoy church together. We, just, we don't want things to change. We don't want it to cost. But we are always a community on mission. That is what God has called us to be. So how do we love our neighbors? Well, there are some specific ways that we as a church engage, and, and engage our community and, and serve our community. We seek to, in a sense, be a witness in, in Jerusalem, be a witness in, in our community. And, and, and corporately, we do that um, in a number of ways. Part of it is, is us just engaging the events of our community. Recently, we had the Criterium here in downtown Edwardsville. The Criterium is this kind of crazy bike race. These guys race around here at a million miles an hour, right? It's this huge event. Thousands of dollars are invested. Thousands of dollars are brought into our community. It's raised uh, um, tons of awareness. Well, we serve our community by opening up our building and becoming a cooling station. We help them set up and we help them tear down. You're like, Steve, how's that mission, man? That doesn't sound very spiritual. Shouldn't you be building a house or something? Let's not um, start dividing service into more and less spiritual. You know what I'm saying? This is a way for us to serve our community, to enrich our community, to be a blessing to our community. This is an event that our community pulls off for the good of the community itself. We are investing into the good of our city. And I believe it honors Christ as we simply come in and invest with those who are investing. Come alongside those who are living for the good of our city and saying, we also want to be for the good of our city. Now, does it help us build relationships? Absolutely. Does it open up doors potentially for us to start having spiritual conversations? Absolutely. Is that important? Yes. Is that the only reason it's important? Absolutely not. Because I think it's important to love our city both in deed and in word. I think we demonstrate the love of Christ as we sacrifice for the good of those around us. And we never want to, to miss the opportunity to share also the mess, sharing the message of the love of Christ. So Criterium, we, we partner as well with the food pantry. The food pantry is, the Glenhead food pantry is a way that we connect with those that are in need in our community. A lot of times it's hard to identify those that are in financial crisis or are in other kinds of need. And, and the food pantry has a way of identifying those folks. Why? Because when they're in need, a lot of times they show up and, and they'll identify to a place like that. Hey, we're in crisis. We have a need. And we are one of uh, um, a small handful of churches here in Edwardsville that have financially committed to specifically helping um, families as they come forward in financial crisis saying, we can't pay our bills or we can't do these other things. It's a way for us to practically come alongside and, and serve our community. As we looked at our community from the very beginning, we tried to identify areas that God was leading us to move into relationship and to love people. And one of the first areas we identified here in Edwardsville was over at SIUE, and more specifically, the family housing, um, what, is, what is referred to as Cougar Village. Um, you have a, a large population of people there that are working very, very hard to improve their lives. They're making a lot of sacrifices. A lot of times it's single moms with kids um, that are fighting to, to hold a job and go to college to improve their lives and the hopes and the lives of their kids. And a lot of times, this is a population that just has a lot of need. And, and so we have made a purpose of trying to get into that community and make relationships with folks and, and just reach out and practically support and love people. And God has opened up some tremendous doors of, of us being able to serve and to love and to share the gospel um, in powerful ways. And out of that grew our partnership with this thing we call Affordable Christmas, Affordable Christmas is this huge event that we pull off every year, um, which is specifically targeting families that are having a hard time affording Christmas for their families. We want to come alongside them and, and give them a dignified way to provide the Christmas experience for their family. It allows us, again, to 
honor them as people, come alongside them, get to know them, love them in practical ways, and open up conversations with them. Um, this year, we're looking to serve, man, I don't know, 70 families, Jen, is that right? 70 or 80 families. It, it is a huge um, uh, uh, event, and, and it's one of those what we call the all-hands-on-deck event. I mean, it really is everybody involved, and it's a lot of fun. It's like a big party, and, and um, you're going to hear more about it in the coming months because right now, even though Christmas seems like a long way off, this thing's already kicking into, I'd say, middle gear, about to go into high gear as far as organizing and, and the momentum behind it and the work that's going into it, and, and we're going to ask you to be involved because this is a key way that our, our spiritual family, our Christian community comes together as a community to walk on mission to serve those that, that need to be served. Probably one of the most important ways that we try to equip our community to be on mission is through the organizing of our community groups. Now, our community groups are small groups that meet throughout the week, throughout our community. And it's incredibly important that we be in community. We've hit that already, that you know, that you know people and you're known, that you love and you're loved, that you, that you kind of get into the rough stuff with people. Your joy is more joyful, your, your pain is more tolerable. And it's important that we move in with other Christ followers to explore what it means to grow in the gospel and to grow in faith. And God works through those relationships. But community groups are never meant to become self-focused. It's a community in a community. It's a community on mission. Our community groups are, are um, looking at how they can love their neighbors, how they can move out together and, and in service together engage our community and love our community. There's cool things going on around this city I don't even know about. I hear about them after they happen. I didn't organize them. It wasn't our leadership team. It was our community groups taking responsibility and saying, holy cow, here's an opportunity to serve. Here's an opportunity to impact our community for good. And, and they mobilize it and they make it happen. That thrills me. I mean, that is just awesome as our community moves out on mission. Here's the deal. We, we want to meet people where they are. We want to love people where they are. We want to share the gospel with them and see if God is opening a door for influence and relationship with them because we believe what we have is worth sharing, right? It, it can be life-transforming. And here's the deal, you guys. You are surrounded by people, some of whom are dying on the inside. We are, we are so, as a culture, so bent on making sure that we have a good public face but there are a lot of people that behind those public faces are literally suffering and dying inside. They need the life-changing message of the love of God. And God has entrusted that message to us. They will not hear it unless we are faithful to step out in faith to share it with those who need it. It's not guilt. It's gratitude. Hearts undone by the love of God, moved out by the love of God to love others. Now, as a church, we are trying to create opportunities for you to invite people to, to what we would call create on-ramps. And one of the things that we're trying to do is with our sermon series, um, create a little bit more ability for folks to invite. Um, we did this once before, and it turned out to be a huge success, and we're doing it again. We, we created these door hangers for the purpose of, of promoting this new sermon series. N next week, we're starting a seven-week series called Deep Rest. What we're doing is we're focusing on a cultural human problem. Um, anybody in here ever get tired? You ever feel a little worn out? You ever feel like things are stretched a little too far? You ever feel like your ability to, to get your bounce back is getting less and less? Some of you feel like rubber bands that have been stretched to the limit, and you don't know how to get the bounce back. You feel like things are just being stretched to their limit, and you can do less work, you can take a day off, you even come to hate your day off, because it, at least work distracts you. Anybody, does this sound familiar to anybody? It sure did to me, and it sure does to me, and God's shown me a ton of things about the power of rest. There's this gift in the Bible that biblically is called Sabbath, a word that, that um, is very religious and most people completely misunderstand. We're going to take seven weeks and unpack that there is a gift that God has given us that ultimately can refresh us like nothing else. It can put the bounce back in our lives. It can refresh us and give us energy and give us joy. It can restore health and hope. You think your neighbors need to hear about that? 
Do you think there are people around you right now that are dying because their schedules, their kids, their work, the expectations of life are simply driving them into the ground? I think so. And that's why I want to invite you to invite them. We're giving you the opportunity. And this is, again, one of those all-hands-on-deck opportunities. We need everybody's help. And so there's going to be a table after service set up where you can find out about when we're moving, going out to hang these door hangers. And I know it's inconvenient. I know it doesn't fit into your schedule. I know it's hot, right? I get it. But this is an opportunity for us as a community to simply move out and, and extend people the invitation to join us in listening to a message that we think is going to be transforming and, and honestly could literally change their lives. It is simply an act of love. All right, so we are to be in local mission, engaged in loving others and sharing the truth. The second thing is that we're supposed to be going out in all Judea and Samaria. Now, Judea and Samaria were the areas immediately outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the heart of, the, uh, of where the early church exploded, right? The surrounding areas were Judea and Samaria. There were places that you could travel to in a day, but they're not places that you lived if you, if you started in, in Judea, or excuse me, in Jerusalem. Judea was the area that they traveled the most. Samaria was a place they hated to go. Um, most Jews would travel completely out of their way, never to set foot. And basically what Jesus is saying is, I want you to go to all the surrounding areas, whether you like them or not. I want you to go to all the areas, whether they're attractive or not, whether the reward is high or it's low or the cost is high or the cost is low. I want you to go to Judea and Samaria. Now, here's the question. How are you on mission in Judea and Samaria when you don't live there? How can you be on mission in a place you don't live? How can you move into relationship with people, love people, engage people where they are, um, grow in relationship with them so that they can come to hear and know the love of God? How do you do that? The only way to do it is to send people to live there. That is, in fact, the movement of the entire New Testament, and it's called church planting. This idea of taking the seed of the gospel into communities planting that seed, growing a new community of faith out of that seed to impact and love that community. When you read through the book of Acts and you follow the events, essentially what you're looking at is the beginning of what we call a church planting movement. It is the primary activity of the New Testament. Them moving from city to city to city, sharing the gospel with people who haven't heard it, seeing what God would bring, forming a nucleus of believers, and out of that nucleus, creating a church that would live in and impact that community. You guys, there is no better way to impact a community for good than by planting a church. You can send money into a community at need, but that money will be spent and it will have little long-term effect in relationally changing the dynamics of that community. But if you take a community of faith and plant it in that community where they will love, where they will move in relationship, where they will counsel, where they will bring the gospel to bear on the systemic problems, you will bless that community far more than by simply showing up and building a house or showing up and sending in money. Money is important. Houses are important. But church is essential. We are to be church-planting churches. That is not optional in the New Testament. And so we have tried to partner in, in strategic ways. We've joined with Acts 29, which is a church-planting movement. We've tried to join with Converge, which is another church-planting movement for the purpose of growing in our ability to influence and impact church-planting, to, to work with other churches that are doing the same thing. Now, soon, we are going to get to do, as a church, something that is uniquely powerful. <laughs> we get to give birth. <laughs> We're going to be sending out a daughter church. Now, some of you have been in churches previously where something similar happened, and, and it was honestly what we would just call a church split. Those things are ugly. You take all the resources, you cut them in half, you sever all the relationships, and you end up with two groups that are actually shrinking because of the, the, the bitterness and frustration and everything else that went into that. We get to do something that's incredibly healthy. The same way the journey sent us out to Edwardsville and blessed us and equipped us and, and, and trained us, we get to send out um, a church. Corey, in here? Where are you, man? All right, dude, come on up here. Corey has been, uh, this is Corey Johnson. He has been our church planting resident for the last year and a half. Um, he basically showed up one day, knocked on my door. He's like, dude, can we talk? I was like who are you? Um, he's like, I'm nobody, but I, you know, and so we just talked and, and after praying about it, he's like, dude, I feel like God has put this incredible burden on my heart, but I have no idea how to do it. I feel like I got a lot of energy, but I have no way to direct it. And, and I just need wisdom and I need, 
And we prayed about it, and that really is what started our church planting residency, that, that kind of partnership. I'm like, dude, I don't even know what I'm doing, um, but let's figure it out together. And so we spent the last year and a half together um, working on this. Now, you guys, this morning is kind of the official sending in the sense that, that Corey is transitioning. He is no longer our church planting resident. He is moving into full-time church plant mode. He, he is starting Heights Church in six months. And, and, and so we have the privilege this morning of, of really just celebrating what God has been doing in him and what God is going to be doing through him. Um, and, uh, and I want to give an opportunity for Corey to, to kind of just reveal, because I know for a lot of you guys, you've seen him around, you've heard him preach, but you don't really know much about him or his story. So we're going to take a few minutes this morning, and, and I'm going to give him an opportunity just to talk to you guys. Um, say hi. Hi. You ever look back on that meeting and think, what did I get myself into? <laughs> no. That's really how it happened. I literally knocked on the door and I was like. Yeah, no, I wouldn't exaggerate. <laughs> yeah. All right, dude. Um, so tell us, why, why do you want to plant a church? Yeah. Um, well, originally I didn't want to at all. Um, I shared this in the last service that in seminary uh, I had a professor come and he was like, man, your personality and your character and all this, like you should be a church planter. And I kind of laughed at him, and I was like, that sounds like a terrible idea to do. Um, but God used that to plant a seed um, just in, my, in my mind, in the back of my head. And, and my wife and I, Andrea and I, we, uh, we just started praying about it. And uh, I didn't even tell her for about six months um, that, I, that I felt called to do that, and I just wanted to make sure. And so we prayed about it for, for a year and just dreamt about what could and what should a church look like. And over time, God just began to break our hearts for, um, for the metro east as a whole, the whole this Illinois side of the river, and, um, and we just, just began to reveal to us that, that there's a lot of churches. I mean, this is the beginning of the Bible Belt, and in Collinsville alone, there's 27-plus churches, um, but there's not a lot of churches that are effectively sharing the gospel. And there's not a lot of gospel-centered churches that are equipping people and sending people out to, as missionaries locally, um, and in the statistics, it shows that 80% of our community effectively, they, they proclaim to follow a God outside of Jesus. So 80% of people um, in the Metro East, that's 526,000 people, half a million people are being led by a God other than Jesus um, daily. And so it's 500,000. That's a half a million people that don't take a biblical approach to marriage, that don't take a biblical gospel-centered approach to raising kids, to picking jobs, making decisions, picking degrees. They're just floating along with no hope, a half a million. And he just broke our hearts for that. And he's like, you are ill-equipped to do this, but praise God for Jesus, right? Because he come and did it perfectly in our place. And um, and so he just kept breaking our hearts for, for that and that truth that people just need hope and they need the, it comes from the gospel. Okay. Why Collinsville? Um, same thing. We had no desire to plant in Collinsville at all. Um, we want to go to the Quad Cities. That's yeah. where. Do you guys have the picture up there? There. Oh. They didn't get that last service. Corey looks a lot better when he has his girls next to him. So. Yeah. That's you, true. I wanted you guys to see that. All right. Why Collinsville? Um, yeah, again, we, we didn't want to plant there, to be honest. And we wanted to go to the Quad Cities. That's where our family's from. Um, we wanted Emma, that's our little girl, to be around their grandparent, be around her grandparents. And, um, but as we lived in the city, God just began, and just praying, he just began to break our hearts and, and show just the mass segregation. If you're familiar with Collinsville, you have people that live down the hill, which is like by the ketchup bottle, and then people that live up the hill, away from the ketchup bottle. And that's the way people talk about the residents there. And we saw that there's mass just brokenness in families. There's that segregation. There's poverty. Um, there's a literal need for restoration. Like in the city, the housing market isn't that good. And what kind of sealed the deal is we were talking with Christians that, that we love and respect and value. And they were saying, you know, why would you plant there? Like, do you really want to put Emma in the school system there? Do you really want to buy a house there? I mean, local businesses are closing their doors every day. And they're trying to talk us out of it. And the whole time they were talking is trying to talk us out of it, God was saying, like, that's the place to go. Why would you go anywhere where everyone's happy and getting along great? Like, go where there needs to be restoration and go where Jesus can redeem. Don't just go in where it's going to be easy. And so we just kept praying, and God just kept breaking our hearts and kept leading us um, to Collinsville. We were sitting outside of Burt's Chuck Wagon, if anyone is familiar. 
I don't know if it's for barbecue or mix or, or Hispanic food. We don't know. No one can clarify. But we were sitting outside <laughs> of that place, and uh, and it just kind of came like, why not? You know, why not here? We love these people. We we um, very much have family here that aren't biological, but people that God's broken our hearts for. So, hmm. all right, bro. Um, tell us a little bit about what your hope is moving forward and, and how people can get involved. Yeah. So, <clears throat> pretty much, I was just thinking through this. Um, there's just four things I, I hope for. The first and foremost is that um, we would be a people that uh, see other people come to faith in Jesus. If that's not happening, then what's the point? If we don't do this in such a way, we're not sharing the gospel and seeing people have a new relationship in Christ, then um, our efforts are worthless. And so that's my number one hope is, that, is to see people transform, to see that 80% in the Metro East, the 500,000, to see that start decreasing. Um, and I believe that planting churches, that plant churches is the way to do that. Um, second thing that we need is we need team, um, a solid team. We have 16 people that are phenomenal. We've been living in community as a, for over, uh, over a year now, just figuring out what does it mean to be on mission in the community, to share the gospel, to be the church outside of just a Sunday gathering. And um, we have an awesome team. But as part of planting with Acts 29, we have to have 40 people that are willing to surrender their comforts and come alongside us for um, a minimum of a year to commit to being a part of what we call a launch team. Um, and what's funny, this is where you're smiling. Yeah. What's funny yeah. is uh, Collinsville, the average attendance in church is 30. And we have to have 40 people on a launch team to even be considered like a healthy church or a, a starting church. And so by default, we'll actually have one of the bigger churches in Collinsville <laughs> just with our launch team, which is funny. Um, but there's just a lot of strategy to that. And so we need people that, are, that will prayerfully consider um, really just surrendering their, their rights and, and reorienting their, reorienting their life um, around us. And so that's the, third, the second thing. Thirdly is um, financially, it costs a lot to plan a church, far greater than I ever imagined. We had put like preliminary budgets out um, but to actually do the, the heavy lifting of getting all that financial capital is a ton of work. So we need people to prayerfully consider giving. And as part of the other network that we're part of that you talked about, which is Converge, they actually match um, individual giving 100%. So someone gives us 1000 they cut us a check for 2000 um, which is awesome. And so we need people to prayerfully consider giving financially um, just to support the church so that we can be, go out and be missional. And then thirdly, I should have said this first, um, it's just to pray for the church. Like people, not, I don't, don't take that lightly, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll pray. But actually people that will pray, that will commit to, to daily praying that people would come to know Jesus, that a, a solid team of Christians, a, a core team or a launch team of Christians would be developed and sent out and that God would multiply the funds 10, 100 fold is the goal. And, and I'll say to you, not as far as hope, um, we're not limited to Collinsville, but that's where we want this to start and take place and kind of grow. Um, and then the vision is to really just to blanket the Metro East with um, with small groups or with what we call missional communities, um, just as Trailhead has done. And so we want to really just flood and blanket um, the whole Metro East, not just Collinsville, but we definitely feel led to start this, this redemptive process um, in Collinsville. So. Yeah. All right. Um, you guys, we're going to pray for... Um, for Corey. Yeah, I wish Andrea were here. She's at work this morning and wasn't able to get off. Um, but if you don't know this guy, you really should take the time to meet him. A, a lot of you guys have seen him around. Um, you've heard him preach. He has served here faithfully. Uh, but he has an incredible story. You would never know it. But there's no reason other than the grace of God that he is sitting right here right now instead of um, in prison or in the gutter some dude's basement passed out. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's, God is, has plucked him as a brand from the fire and said, you are going to be um, a witness of my grace. And, and um, it's a beautiful story, and God's doing a beautiful in, thing in him and, and through him. And I want to encourage you to pray for him. And seriously, you guys, let's, let's be real about this. What, some of you, God is going to call you to join him. That's going to happen. You'd be like, Steve, aren't you afraid that, look, if, if God's calling you to go, the last thing I want to do is hold on to you. Um, I don't want to get in God's way. You know what I'm saying? Like, if God's calling you to go, for some of you, it's not going to be to go. God's going to call some of you to give. You're going to be able to financially partner with this guy. The amount of money that church planters have to raise, the amount of work that you have to put into to, to raise that capital, to make that happen, um, incredibly challenging. Um, so God may lead some of you to give. 
I'm going to encourage all of you to pray. And like he said, that is not last and least. That is first and most. Because this is a spiritual thing. This is a, a spiritual battle, and, and he and his family are on the front lines. So let's take a minute and pray for him. Um, so pray with me. Father God, I thank you for Corey. I thank you for Andrea. I thank you for the call that you've put on their lives. I thank you, Lord, that they have yielded themselves to that call and are willing to lay down their lives for the gospel and follow you. Father, I pray that you will make their way clear, that you will give them the necessary challenges they need to grow and to become who you've called them to be, that you will take away the challenges that come from the enemy that will simply hinder and hurt. Father, I pray that you will move our body to love well, to sacrifice well, to send well, that, Lord, we might um, really just see the joy of, of um, what it means to send out a church. God, thank you that you're the one orchestrating all this. You're the one over it all. And we ask your blessing on him, on his core team, on his family, on that community, and, Lord, on your gospel, that your gospel will bring you much glory and change many lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, uh, one thing we forgot to mention. Right after this service, Corey is going to be meeting right down that hallway, uh, back there in a room, an informational meeting. If you want to find out more information, if you want to get a little bit of his story, if you're just curious, I realize some of you are going to be like, man, I want to go to lunch. Hold your appetite for a minute. We'll kill you, all right? Head back there um, and, and take a few minutes to just do the Q&A thing with him, okay? Um, all right, there's one final part of the verse that I want to focus on before we, we wrap this up, and that's the last part, um, that God calls us not to just Jerusalem and not to just to Judea and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. Holy cow. The farther away you go, the harder it is to get there, right? And, and, and really, the more difficult it is to envision what it means to truly be on mission to the ends of the earth. And so I just want to share with you a couple ways that over the last couple of years, Trailhead has partnered with what we would call global or international mission work. Um, the first I want to highlight um, is, is really something that just grew up out of a relationship that we had um, with JB and Abby Wendell. These guys are leaders um, in... Campus Crusade for Christ, now known as Crew. They started, they, they showed up in Edwards about the same time I showed up to start the Journey Metro East, and we met at a barbecue, and um, we have just found this incredible um, synergy, this partnership. I love these guys. They are the real deal, um, and I'm not here to sing their praise. What I am here to sing the praise of is the grace of God through them. What has happened is over the last three years, um, they have been able to um, really gain some traction on the campus of SIUE, loving students, sharing the gospel. Right now, they need your prayer. It's the beginning of a school year. There's a whole new flock of freshmen coming in that they are engaging and seeking to share the gospel with. Um, we have seen a lot of people become believers through that ministry and through the sharing of faith on that campus. What does this have to do with sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth? Well, these guys mobilize people for mission in an incredible way, both on campus and internationally. Over the last three years, JB, just let me know, we have sent out 27 people who consider Trailhead home to go to East Asia on international mission with them to share the gospel on campuses and with people in cultures all the way on the other side of the world. And we have seen fruit come from the sharing of that good news. And so we want to see um, a continued movement toward the equipping of mission, uh, of, of blessing um, our body to continue to move out internationally and uh, engage in the sending. So we look forward to growing on our ability to support them and, and the mission of, of crew and, and um, ultimately sending people um, around the world. Another key relationship I want to highlight that we've developed over the last couple of years is with um, a missionary um, leading a... She's essentially leading a church planning team. Her name is Johanna Richards. She's in a place called Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan is, uh, again, all the way on the other side of the world. It's, it's kind of the borderland between Asia and, and the Middle East um, um, and um, an interesting place. It is predominantly Muslim. Um, there is some influence from the Russian Orthodox Church, but there's very little gospel influence in that community. People simply have not heard about the love of God demonstrated to them through the work of Christ. And um, she, Johanna, joined a team and has been over there for the last year and a half. And what they're doing is they're actually part of a community development team. Um, they are there investing into the community. They are seeking to help with, with um, 
community improvement and, and helping the, uh, attract tourists and helping with infrastructure. And um, Johanna's job, Johanna specifically, is focusing on community health initiatives. And so she's focusing on hygiene and, and helping people care for themselves and care for the kids and, and taking care of, of basic um, needs in a highly impoverished community. You guys, this is incredibly difficult soil. This is the kind of soil that you have to till for years before you're even able to plant a seed. And then you have to simply trust that that seed will take and that ultimately God will raise up an indigenous people, a group of people who believe and follow Christ to become a testimony to others in that community. Um, Johanna's been on the ground with her team for about a year and a half, and, and um, she put together a small video to update us on her summer. And, and I want to take a minute and I just think you get kind of a flavor for where she is and who she is. She put this together on her laptop. I love it because um, she's out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, but go ahead and show that video and, and let's catch up with Johanna for a minute. This is Johanna. It's summertime here and it's the nicest time of the year to live in our village. So we're really enjoying that. Uh, right now is wedding season, which means there's lots of loud music and lots of fried donuts and <laughs> things like that. Um, it's been great these last few months. I feel like I've really learned a lot more of the language and been able to talk more with people. But it also means that I've, more people have told me about some of the things that um, are really hard for them, are more of like the heart issue things. So one friend was telling me about watching her dad die in some of the ethnic conflicts a few years back. And another friend has told me about not wanting to get married and kind of the fears associated with that and seeing more of um, the way that some people aren't treated or valued um, as much. And so that's been hard. But it's also been really great to be able to, to understand that and to start to engage with some of that. Um, I don't know what else to say now. <laughs> In general, things are going well. Our team is doing well. And we're excited to still be here and continue to grow. And thank you for your prayers and for your support and for being interested in what we're doing here. We appreciate it a lot. All right, over the last year and a half, we have been supporting Johanna and her team. Um, we've sent care packages, and we have prayed and Skyped and um, been a resource to them as they've gone through upheaval and leadership. God's been doing some incredible things there. Um, I was contacted recently by um, their, the sent, their official sending church is a church in Arizona, a guy named Chris. Um, he's part of the Acts 29 network, so he's a brother in, in that network, and I've known him. And, um, and we have unofficially kind of adopted the role of father and mother um, to them. And, and so we've kind of been sharing this role of, of kind of dual sending churches in some ways. And Chris contacted me and said, look, we've been researching the best way to encourage and strengthen this team. And what they need now more than anything, they've been on the field for so long, the most powerful thing we can do is give them ourselves. The best thing we can do is go spend time with them to teach them, encourage them, equip them, and to learn from them. And he said, Steve, I want you to pray about going with us. Um, he and uh, another member of the team, Laura, um, were prepared to go. There were some others that were potentially ifing and outing, but um, he needed another man to accompany him, and he thought it'd be great if, if I did. Um, it didn't really fit my schedule. It was not part of my plan for the fall, <clears throat> but we prayed about it, and we, as we prayed, we really just felt like God was saying, I needed to go, and so I'm going, um, and that's why I'm sharing this. I want you to pray. I'm leaving next Sunday, um, and I'll be in the air for about, I don't know, 24 hours. I'll be there for 10 days, and it's really just for the purpose of engaging, teaching, encouraging, praying, and learning, and so I really would, would ask for your prayers, okay? Again, not least and last, first and most. This is real, significant, powerful stuff. And we have the opportunity um, as a church together to have an influence locally, regionally, and around the world. And uh, what that needs is, is honestly the first step is for us to wake up to the fact that there is a redemptive flow that's been set loose in the universe. It began at creation it had its climax at the cross and the resurrection, and it flows till to this day as God continues to be on mission to redeem and to restore, to share the message of renewed hope, forgiveness, and new life. You guys, join in that flow. However God's calling you, 
however he's leading you. But let's be what God has called us to be. And that's messengers. Carrying the greatest message that's ever been entrusted to humankind. Let's pray. We'll go into our time of response. Father God, I I thank you that um, you loved us enough to send your son to die for us, to rise again for us, that we might be forgiven, redeemed, renewed, given a new hope for the future. And then, crazy as it is, you then entrusted the message of that work to us. And Lord, as we look at church history and we look at our own lives, we know there are times when we are incredibly unfaithful to that great honor that's been bestowed upon us, that we might be your ambassadors, that we might be your messengers. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts, not from guilt, not from obligation, but from gratitude, that we would be so overwhelmed by the display of your love, so enlivened by the new hope that we have in your spirit, that we would simply want to share and equip those that are sharing. Lord, I'm asking you to do what only you can do. Wake up our hearts and lead us into genuine mission.